we've got to be a sent people. And if that idea can begin to be a normative for our church, then what you have is the beginning of a movement. We've been talking about that very thing in this series, haven't we? We've been talking about the fact that the church is not a place you attend. It is a movement that you are a part of. Now today is the last message in this series called Reset, where we've been challenging ourselves to rethink how we think about church. And today in this last message, I want to talk to you about global church. What I mean by global church is this, that we have good news for every person living on planet earth. You go anywhere in the world, meet anybody that you want to. We have good news for every person on planet earth. Now, I want to open your Bibles with you today, and I want to start in Acts chapter 11 as we look at this concept of global church, and I want to show you in the book of Acts how it develops, how it unfolds. So let's begin in Acts chapter 11, if you would please. Acts chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 19. Remember last Sunday we were talking about the persecuted church. We kind of pick up at that very spot in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message, that is the good news, the gospel, only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, that is, non-Jews also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, this was a radical thing, that they were actually taking the gospel to those who were not Jews. It, it was believed in the early days of Christianity, by some at least in the church, that the gospel was for those who were Jews. That if you wanted to become a Christian, then you became a Jew first. And then you could become a Christian, a follower of Christ. After all, Jesus himself was a Jew. And so, in the early days of the church, they had a hard time understanding the full implications of the gospel. In fact, when you get to Acts chapter 15, there'll be this great big conference in Jerusalem where they're wrestling through this concept, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And more importantly, who is a follower of Christ? So we see the church in the early days here uh, taking the gospel to all kinds of different places, and they're, they're being pushed to these places by persecution. Look what it says in verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to where, church? To Antioch. Remember that name. To Antioch. All the way north, beyond what we would today call Israel, into an area we would call Syria. That's where they took the gospel, that far to Antioch. Verse 23. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now look at verse 25 and verse 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year... Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Christians, followers of Christ. 
the first place where they became known as followers of Christ was in Antioch. And I want you to note, we'll look at this later, but I want you to note that the leaders of this church in these early days in Antioch was Barnabas and Saul. Don't forget that. Barnabas and Saul, for more than a year, poured their lives into the people, the new believers in Antioch. So here's what you need to understand. The gospel now is being taken to new places. Because the people of God were being scattered by the persecution, and as they were scattered by the persecution, wherever they found themselves, they were sharing the gospel there. And we're told in this text that the gospel was carried all the way north to this place called Antioch. Now, that sets the stage for chapter 13. Would you turn a page or two? Go to Acts chapter 13. That sets the stage for the next step in the advancement of the gospel. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. In the church in Antioch, uh, there were prophets and teachers, and, and they're listed for us. There's five of them. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Underline that in your Bible, if you mark your Bible. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. This new church would learn an important lesson that day, that God founded the church with sending in mind. You see, when we think of the church, we usually think in terms of gathering, right? When we think of the church, we think in terms of of gathering the crowd. We think in terms of gathering. But when God thinks of the church, He thinks in terms of sending. Not gathering the crowd, but sending them to the places of the world who need the gospel. You see, we not only have a message, ladies and gentlemen, we also have a mission. The message of the Bible is both simple and profound. And the message is simply this, Jesus is the one who was sent to us. God sent his very best, and aren't you glad that he did? Jesus is the one sent to us. And the Bible says that we are the ones who are to be sent to the rest of the world. Jesus himself said, as the Father is sending me, I am sending you. And in Acts chapter 13, we begin to see this concept of people from the church being sent from the church, from the gathering, to those who desperately need to hear the gospel. Now today, we have the opportunity to hear from one of our folks who wants to share with you her testimony. Uh, This is Kayla Stevens who wants to tell you her story of where God is sending her. Kayla? This is something I never thought I would ever be doing. Um, I've been at Mount for about 10 years. Uh, I'm a nurse at the Children's Hospital in Greenville Memorial. Grew up in Pattersville. Um, I grew up going on mission trips with other churches, and since I've been at Mount Airy, I've always loved going on mission trips. Um, so last July 2017, we took our first trip to Boston. Um, I went on that trip. I was excited to go. Had a great time. Uh, loved it. Fell in love with Boston, 
loved JD and Natalie um, working with them and really just uh, saw an appreciation for uh, the work that they do in Charlestown and their, you know, genuine love for serving their community. Um, so went on that first trip and thought, you know, had the slightest little thought of what if I were to move here? Well, I quickly pushed that out of my mind because I have a life here, I have a family here. We're definitely not doing that. That's totally crazy. But, you know, it, it was there, quickly pushed it away. God, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, so that fall, we started the Experiencing God study here. Um, every point, every chapter that we come through, Boston keeps coming to my mind. So I jot it down in the margins and then move on. Um, still telling God, we're not doing this. This is not something I could actually do. That's a good thought, but we're not actually going to do this. My family's here. Again, everything I love is here. We're not going to do that. Um, so the next objective in that study says, obedience is costly to you and to those around you. So then I'm thinking about my family still, but again, surely I only went on one trip. God, that's not what you want me to do. You know, this is just one mission trip. This is just emotions, having fun on a trip. Um, push it away again. I bought a house in the midst of all this. Um, to further cement the fact that I'm definitely not moving out of Pattersville. <laughs> See, God, I bought a house, so I, don't, I can't move. Um, so then I went again on the trip in March that we took this past March. Um, and so we went to serve with J.D. and Allie as they started their monthly services um, of Christ Church Charlestown and really just saw all of the work it takes to start a church plant, the work that they put into it, and I really could start to see myself working in that kind of environment, and God, what if this really is what you want me to do? Um, and after that trip, actually, I was sad to leave Boston and come home, which for me is not a feeling I'm used to, because I love to be home. I love, you know, being at home, being with my family, and so for me to feel that, you know, God, I don't think I'm ready to quite leave this place, that was a totally, totally new feeling. Um, so all this time, Boston's never never far from the back of my mind. I didn't really mention it to anybody, but all through the summer, kept thinking about it. I said, if I don't at least play this out, consider it seriously, I'm never going to have peace about it. I'm going to regret it. So in September, I uh, went for about a week and a half um, up to Charlestown to just have an open mind. I told Jade and Natalie, I'm going to come and just serve for a week, see what happens. God may tell me one thing, he may tell me the other. We'll just, we'll just see what happens. Um, and so it didn't take very many days for me of being there that God said, this is it. I don't know how many more times I need to tell you. This, this is where you need to be. Um, and I know it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. I know you love your family. You have a job you love. You just bought a new house that you love. You love Mount Airy. I know it's going to be the hardest thing you'll ever do up to this point in your life. But he also said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. And so I can't, I can't do this on my own and it's going to have to be him doing it all through me because this is going to be a lot for me to learn, a whole new way of living, a whole new, a whole new everything. Um, but he just asks for obedience and that's all I can give him, and I'm willing to do that. And so I talked to J.D. and Natalie while I was up there. We talked about what it would look like um, for me to help serve the church and um, 
you know, kind of the timeline, what I would be doing. Um, so I was very excited, came home and had to tell everybody. <laughs> that was a bit of an emotional roller coaster. So um, that's all kind of settled. And um, I will probably be preparing to leave probably in about February. Uh, so I really do pray that if you would, or I ask that you would pray for, number one, for my family, as this is a quite a big shock to them. Um, and they were pretty devastated, but God will help them through it just as he's going to help me. Um, pray that my house would sell and that I would uh, find a job and a place to live up there that is right uh, for whatever God wants wants for me to do up there. Um, but I know that he's going to be with me through all this adventure. And so I'm grateful to Mount Erie for being a church that I know is a sending church. And I wouldn't be doing this without, without the support of Mount Erie. Kayla is not the first to make that decision, nor, we hope, will she be the last. See, the New Testament points to this concept of sending rather than gathering as a key to reaching the world for Christ. We've seen others in our church family do that very thing. Sell homes, leave family, go to another part of the world or another part of the country for the sake of the gospel. The idea of being sent from a church to another place where they have little or no access to the gospel comes straight out of the pages of Scripture, especially Acts chapter 13. So I want you to read it again with perhaps a new concept now as you've heard from Kayla. I want you to read again chapter 13, verse 1 and following. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and again, they're listed. I want you to notice that Barnabas is listed first, and then Saul is listed last. At, at, most scholars believe that that's an indication. They're kind of listed in, in order of importance in the church. Now Barnabas was the key leader. And Saul was somebody that, that he brought in. Now that's going to flip in just a few chapters. In just a few chapters, Saul becomes the key leader in this missionary endeavor. And Barnabas becomes the support person. But, but, but here are two of the leaders in the church that are... Uh, leading well in the church at Antioch, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord, was, and the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, this was not something they thought up on their own. This was not something like, well, this would be a good idea. This was not something that they had a whiteboard strategy session and said, what do we need to do as a church? The Holy Spirit of God spoke and the Holy Spirit of God led them. And here's what the Holy Spirit said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. For the first time in the book of Acts, God begins to teach the church that they are a sent people. For the first time in the book of Acts, God begins to teach the church that they are a sent people people. Now there are two assumptions about that statement that I want to make sure that you get. Because if you don't understand these assumptions, you will likely misunderstand Acts chapter 13. The first assumption that is in the scripture from Acts chapter 1 all the way through the book of Acts is this. The Great Commission is not a calling for some, it is a mandate for all. You see, when we read this text, it's very easy for us to look at this text and say, boy, I'm so glad 
that God called Caleb, but he hasn't called me. I'm so glad that God has called these other people, but he hasn't called me. And I have scriptural support because God had five leaders in the church. He only called two of them. Praise God, he leaves some of us here. Now, that's not the perspective. The perspective that you need to have is this. The Great Commission is not a calling for some. It is a mandate for all. You see, the purpose of your life as a Christian, hear this, over in the Life Center, make sure you get this. Young people, I want you to hear this carefully. The purpose of your life as a Christian is to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's your purpose. And whether you do that by leaving home and moving somewhere else, or you do that as a member of Mount Airy Baptist Church, the purpose of your life as a Christian is to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. How do I know that? Because when I look through the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 1, I see that over and over and over. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, of course, you have that famous scripture where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know what he was saying to the disciples that day and ultimately to us? He said, listen, The purpose of your life, you'll have different vocations, you'll live in different locations, but the purpose of your life is to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when you begin to read through the book of Acts, that's exactly what you begin to see. Church people, laymen, not professional clergymen, not not even the apostles, but you see church people, laymen, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me me just show you this real quickly. Look in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The middle part of verse 1 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. In other words, the apostles stayed there. The leaders stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And... Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Verse 3, key verse. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So in the face of this persecution, look what the godly leaders did, the laymen, the church members, if you will, beginning in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Would you understand, please? Would you please make sure you, you note He's talking about church members. He's talking about regular folks like you and I. He's talking about just just godly people in the church, not apostles, not the spiritual leaders in the church, but but regular people in the church. As, As they were scattered by the persecution, they preached the word wherever they went. And it says in verse 5, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. You see, the Great Commission is not a calling for some. It is the mandate for all. We see it again and again throughout Scripture. Look in verse, chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip was a layman. Philip was a church member. He was a godly man. And the angel of the Lord said, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. And if you continue to read this story, Philip takes the gospel to this Ethiopian man and tells him the good news of Jesus and leads him to faith in Christ. Look in chapter 11 of Acts, verse 19. Chapter 11 of Acts, verse 19. 
We've read this earlier, but let's read it again. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Again, if you read that and study that, he's not talking about apostles. He's not talking about the church leaders. He's talking about godly men and women. He's talking about church members taking the gospel wherever they go. Because, you see, the assumption in the book of Acts is this. The assumption in the book of Acts is that you, as a follower of Christ, you, as a Christian, will be involved in advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm I'm sure immediately some of you formulate a response that kind of protects you. You begin to see things like, you know, I I just don't have that calling. I'm not gifted in that way. I don't like that kind of thing. I'm I'm not a missionary. But, but, But would you lay all of those excuses aside for a moment? Would you consider this one question? Would you just kind of lower your defenses? And rather than saying, I can't, I won't, and all of those, would you, just, would you just for a moment consider one question? What if? What if the purpose of your life really is to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth? What would that look like? You know, depending on your age and stage in life, it's going to look different, isn't it? than it would for others in our church. Depending on your age and stage in life, you may not move to Boston. But what would it look like in your life if you were to adopt this as your purpose in life? That your purpose in life as a Christian is to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. What would that look like as a businessman? What would that look like as a stay-at-home mom? What would that look like in your situation, in your location, and your vocation, How could you leverage what you have and what you do to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth? I mean, can you think of a greater purpose than that one? I can't. If you can, go do it. But if you can't, then maybe this is what God wants you to do. You know the story by now, I'm sure, about John John Chow, a 26-year-old missionary from Washington State who was recently killed while trying to contact an isolated tribe on a remote island off the coast of India. This week I've spent some time reading his journal. Pages that he wrote days before he was killed. One page that he wrote on the day he was killed. After writing out his journal, after writing out his thoughts, he, before he went to make contact with the, the, the tribe on the island, he actually apparently took photos of his journal and and emailed it or texted it to to a friend in the States, and that's how we have access to his journal now. But but after he wrote his journal and and he just felt led of the Lord to go to this island, then he went to try to make contact with the people who lived on that island. You know the story. He was killed by the people on that island he was trying to help. Some have called him a martyr. Some have called him a fool. And there is great debate. Missiologists will likely debate his methods for years to come. But one thing is undeniable. John Chow knew that the purpose of his life was to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he literally was willing to do it. That's the first assumption I want you to understand. The first assumption is simply this, that for all of us, for all of us, 
Whether we're, we're called to leave our church or not, for all of us, whether we're, we're a missionary or, or a layperson, for all of us, the Great Commission is a mandate. Calling, a mandate for every one of us. We live it out in different ways. But what would it be like if you said, from this day forward, the purpose of my life will be to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth? What would that look like for you as a senior adult? What would that look like for you as a teenager? What would that look like for you as a single or as a young married? What would that look like to just say, you know, the purpose of my life. I own a business, but the purpose of my life is this. I'm not going to let the business own me. My purpose is I'm going to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Somehow, some way, I'm going to be a part of that. Here's a second assumption in the book of Acts that I'll hit real quickly. The second assumption in Acts chapter 13 is this. God calls some to take the gospel to the, to the world. He calls some to take the gospel to the world. You see, chapter 13 begins a new phase in the book of Acts. Chapter 13, God calls and God sends people out from the church to take the gospel to places where it has never been. From chapter 13 to the end of the book, the, the emphasis of the book is very clear, very plain. Paul becomes the key figure in the rest of the book of Acts. And he's going from place to place. He's taking the gospel from village to village, from town to town. And he understands that the message of a church is a message for the world. And so he's taking the gospel to the world. Now what is that message that he's taking to the world? It's the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins. It's the message that He was buried, He was resurrected. It's the message that He offers forgiveness to anybody. It's the message that everyone can have a relationship with God. It's a message that we can spend eternity with God in heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear this. There is not a person on planet earth who doesn't need to hear that message. And yet there are millions of people who have yet to hear it. Now, dear Baptist Church, we must never forget that God wants to use us to take the gospel to the world. And He does indeed call some people out of the church gathering to go to those dark places who have yet to hear the message. I want to go to John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Be the last verse, kind of the closing here, if you will. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what it says. He, speaking of Jesus, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of what, church? The whole world. See, the message of the church is a message for the world. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, here's the perspective too many church people have. Me, my four, no more, close the door. I'm happy with, with who I am. I'm happy with who we have. I'm happy with our little group. And so, we're good. We got Jesus. We're good. But He is the atoning sacrifice, not only for your sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. What a tragedy if they never hear about it. What a tragedy if they don't know that they have that opportunity. What a tragedy if, if 2.8 billion people who have little or no access to the gospel on planet earth never get the chance to respond to what you've responded to. 
2.8 billion people who have little or no access to the gospel. That's why next Sunday we're taking up an offering called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. We take it every, every year. And the reason we take it up is because we want to play a vital role in taking the gospel to the dark places of the world. We recognize that God does call out some people from a church and He sends them to other places. We have over 3,600 missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries, who are all over the world. Some of them are from our church. I can't tell you their names. I, you know who they are, but, but because we're on the internet, I can't tell you their names or, or where they're serving for security purposes. But we have people from our own church who are part of that mission team, over 3,600 of them. And next Sunday, every dollar that you give, 100% of it goes straight to the mission field to help missionaries like the ones who came out of our church. Our goal for next Sunday is to collect $57,000. That's a lot of money. I want to tell you something about that $57,000. You know how we got that goal? Last two or three years, we've decided, let's try to support a missionary for one year. That's approximately what it takes to support one missionary for one year. So next Sunday, our church is going to step forward and say, we believe that God is in the business of calling people out of the church and sending them into the world. We believe that as a church family, we need to be a part of supporting those people. So next Sunday, we're going to hopefully prayerfully give at least $57,000 to keep that missionary on the field for another year. I'm going to tell you how, we, how we've been doing the last 12 months as our missionaries have been out there in the dark places of the world. In the last year, 811 people groups were engaged by our missionaries. 811 different people groups. In the last year, 12,005 churches have been planted around the world. Is anybody happy with that? 12,005 churches have been planted. And in the last year, 46,495 people have come to faith in Christ. Because the message of the church is a message for the world. And sometimes God calls people out to go to places like Boston or to go to places like Bosnia and say, listen, take the gospel with you. You go move there. You go live there. And as you go, take the gospel with you. Because there are people all over planet earth who need to hear the good news about Jesus. Larry Pepper was on a trajectory to accomplish his lifelong goal. Larry Pepper was a NASA flight surgeon who was good at his job, and he had a, a dream since a little boy of going to space one day. Larry was a very smart, intelligent man, and it wasn't long before he was about to become a candidate for a flight mission into space as a flight surgeon. But as he was preparing for, to fulfill his dream, God interrupted his plans. As Larry was reading his Bible one morning, he thought more and more about his life and the significance he was making with his life. And he felt God say to him one morning in his quiet time, you've committed everything to me except your job. You've committed everything to me except your job. It soon became evident that God was drawing him away. Drawing him away from that, that calling. He, he said, I began to see God's work through God's eyes. He said, I began to see lostness around the world. He said, for me that meant 
If I could use my medical skills in a way that would leverage my medical skills for the gospel, then that's the way I needed to invest my life. So more than two decades ago, he and his wife Sally moved their three children. They packed up. They moved to Africa. They first moved to Uganda, then to Lesotho, and now they live in Tanzania. Over the years, the Peppers have spent countless hours beside the beds of dying people and sick people and hurting people and leading these people to the lasting hope they can have in Jesus Christ. Larry understands the message of the, hope, the, message of the church is a message for the world. It's a global message. It's not just me, my more, no more, close the door. We're happy here. We need to live with the awareness there is a world who needs the gospel. Next Sunday, we're going to be supporting Larry Peppers. Next Sunday, we're going to be collecting an offering to support 3,600 other missionaries just like him. God has called out of the church to the dark places of the world. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now. I want to ask you a question. Heads bowed. I want to ask you this question. Listen carefully. Would you be willing to say this to the Lord? God, from this day forward, the purpose of my life is to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know in my stage in life, in my age in life, I have no idea what that means, but... That means I stay here and I pray and I give and I go occasionally, then that's what I'll do. If that means that, that I sell my house and I move somewhere, then that's what I'll do. If that, I don't know what that means, Lord. If I get connected with some missionaries somehow, I don't know what that means. But God, for the rest of my life, I want this to be my purpose, to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Some people have a special calling to take the gospel to dark places far away. And the rest of us are called to live that out right where we are. We all have that same mandate. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for those that have been willing to just pack up and move and go and live somewhere else. And I thank you for Kayla's heart and her willingness to do that and just pray, God, for Kayla that your hand would be on her. You would guide her and prepare her and then use her for your glory. Father, I pray for the others in this congregation who may need to follow in her footsteps, who may need to follow her example. May we all decide that advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth is our greatest purpose. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.